0: Well, good morning. I trust that your worship this morning has brought you an awareness of who it was that we're worshiping this morning. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you a word. I want you to think about the first word that comes to your mind when I give you this word. Comfort. When you think of the word comfort, what's the first thing that popped into your mind? Really? Really? Excellent. Okay, a hug, care. I thought food. <laughs> comfort food. My grandfather's spaghetti sauce in particular. I can still he's been gone for almost 20 years, but I can still I can still smell it in his kitchen. Maybe it's physical comfort for some people. Maybe you think of that chair that's in your living room that you like to be sitting in. There's a Chesterfield that's just Sorry for you young people, that's a big long chair. <laughs> the sofa, the comfortable sofa that's there. Maybe it's sitting on a beach somewhere, your feet up, sun hitting you, sounds of the waves. That can be comfort. Maybe it's emotional comfort. Maybe you're thinking, I've lost somebody. I'm in, I'm in uh, tension with somebody right now. And I need comfort that way. Whatever it is that you're thinking of, we know for sure that in life we're going to have hills and valleys, right? And in the valleys that we go through, very often we're going to find ourselves lost and confused. We feel ourselves um, overwhelmed by the situation. And when that happens, what happens so often is that our minds just focus solely on that, there are times you just want the storm to be finished because you're just tired of thinking about it. When that happens, our attention tends to turn to thoughts of being comforted. We need to be comforted in those situations. And the disciples are going to find themselves in that situation today as we continue in John 14 because Jesus told them something that created a huge problem for them. He said, I'm leaving. But in this, he taught some really valuable lessons, and they're lessons about divine comfort, about only the comfort that Jesus can provide. And so we're gonna have a look at that today, and there's a lot that we're gonna work through in this text, but what I'm prayerful for is that you are gonna be overwhelmed today. That's my prayer, is that you are gonna leave here Overflowing with thanksgiving for the comfort that is given to us through Jesus. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to John. We're going to be ending John 13, so we're going to be starting in verse 36 of uh, chapter 13. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, You do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands." And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will, see, will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be, my, will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken will still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. This is the word of God this morning. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you. That you have given us the truth in your word that we can open it up and that, Lord, it can minister to our souls today. Father, I pray that for each person in here, Lord, that they will um, come to a deeper understanding of the comfort that you have to offer. Lord, that we'll leave here changed. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there's a couple of things. There's two main things that we want to think about this morning that we learn from this text. And the first section I want to cover is that there is comfort that comes from who Jesus is. There is just comfort that comes just because of who Jesus is. And we're going to, as we start to look through the passage, it's clear right away that the disciples were not perfect, were they? Far from it, really. Jesus had just told them that they were going to leave, and that was in 13, verse 33. And then in 34 and 35, he gives them a command that they completely missed. They weren't paying attention to it. They got distracted by the situation. The command was to love one another. But the disciples were so distracted by the situation that they weren't really sure what to do. And they weren't really understanding what Jesus had said. So here's a way that Jesus is, that, or or, a a part of who Jesus is that gives us comfort is that he knows us. He knows exactly what the condition of our heart is, and he knows exactly what we need. The disciples actually had figured something out already. They knew that the closer they were in proximity to Jesus, the better off they were going to be. They had figured that out. The problem was... They were thinking in terms of physical proximity. They were thinking how physically close we are to him is what is going to make this, uh, is, going to, is going to keep us close to him. And they, they couldn't go with him. Jesus, has says to, Jesus said to them, you cannot follow now. You can't go. And it wasn't because he didn't want them to go. It was because they spiritually couldn't go. They were in a condition of sin. They were in a condition of the human nature. Jesus was going to the cross. He was the only one qualified to do it. And he had to go so that the disciples could follow them later. He had to become the sacrifice for all of humanity. By doing so, that made the way for us to be reconciled back to him. But until it was completed, like I said, the disciples weren't able to follow. And it was obvious that Peter didn't understand this. He, Jesus was on a mission. Peter didn't get it. He says in verse 37, Lord, why can't I follow you now? He says, I will lay down my life for you. One thing I've started to notice is that when you make a statement to Jesus and he responds with a question, it's probably he's going somewhere with that. So what does he say to Peter? Peter? Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. He knew Peter before, better than Peter knew himself. Peter had all the, the good intention, but Jesus knew there was no way he could do it. In fact, one commentator mentions that we don't actually hear from Peter again until chapter 18. He doesn't say another word. He suggests that that might be because he came face to face with the truth about himself and was left speechless. Jesus knew that the disciples were in need, even when they didn't know it. And think about this for a minute. This isn't the first time they heard Jesus was going to go. He had mentioned it before. He had said he was going to endure some terrible things. And now he tells the disciples, it's now time. And rather than the disciples going to comfort Jesus, Jesus has to comfort them. That's why he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. That's his answer to this. They knew. He knew that the disciples did not qualify for this. They were going to be able to follow later. And he was going to tell them that it's okay, we're going to be reunited. And I think this interaction emphasizes at a very deep level the condition of our own hearts. It's the discipleship failure that we all have. We have spiritual weakness, but let's take comfort today that Jesus knows it. He knows right now what we need. He knows exactly what we're thinking and what we're feeling and where we're at. For some of us, that could be very comforting. For others, that might be very troubling. The thought that Jesus knows your thoughts, your actions, all of that, that can be very distressing because we want to keep those things hidden sometimes. But let's change our perspective this morning because there is great comfort in being known. There is great comfort knowing that the God of the universe knows you intimately. Question is, if you're feeling troubled, you've got to ask, are you you ready? Are you really in genuine relationship with Christ? Are you rebelling against him? Do you know him? Do you want to be more like him? He knows exactly what we need. So the disciples are said, don't worry, or the disciples are told, don't worry, it's going to be temporary. And then in the next thing, we find out that another part of Jesus is that he prepares. Jesus has prepared a place. Yes, he's going somewhere they can't follow, but they're going to be reunited with him, and whatever it is, it's going to be fantastic. He says, my father's house has many rooms in verse 2. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to do what? Prepare a place for you. We don't know exactly what that looks like. I have a friend who went through years of cancer, and... uh, as he was sort of hitting his, his darkest spot, he was working through a book about heaven. And as he started to read it, his wife walked by him and said, what are you reading there? And he says, "Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm reading about heaven. And she says, I don't know what he's got in store for us. I just know it's going to be way better than anything we could think of. And he said, 500 pages, 20 words. <laughs> Gone. Cling to that. Because we, don't, we can't pinpoint with any precision what that's going to look like. We don't know. We just know that it's going to be fantastic. But Jesus is making the point, whatever he has in store for us, that's not the point. It's not about what's waiting for us. It's about who is waiting for us. Wanting heaven isn't enough to get you heaven. Jesus is what gets you heaven. This is why he says in verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to do what? Be with me. That you also may be where I am. The disciples knew that the source of comfort that they needed was to be with him. It wasn't just in the things that he did. But I think sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that. We get to... Have, we have an eternity that is prepared for us with our Savior. It's amazing. And in that small section, what Jesus is giving them is hope. He's giving them a particular kind of hope. He's saying, look, yes, I'm going to leave you, but my, I'm, we're going to be reunited. My return is as certain as my departure is. And that's the hope that is available to all those who call on the name of the Lord all of us sit with hope because Jesus is returning. And it's certain. And when he returns, we're going to be back in the presence of the Lord. And there is no greater comfort than being in the presence of God. There is no greater comfort, comfort than being in those times and places in your life when you just knew that God was there. You could feel him and you knew. The question is, are we thinking about things from our own current situation right now? Well, the disciples were. That's why in verse four, when he says, you know the, you know the way to the place where I'm going, Thomas says, what? No, we don't. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? The disciples, the many rooms in the Father's house, they had to realize the many rooms weren't pit stops on the road. They are, it's the final destination. Life is going to be hard. Life is going to be challenging. We're going to have struggles. We're going to go through those hills and the valleys. But we need to find great comfort knowing that eternity with Jesus is possible. The fact that we even have that available to us should bring great comfort what he accomplished and what he was about to do through his death, his burial, and his resurrection made the next statement Jesus said so relevant because Jesus is so unique that he was able to say what he says, which is the sixth of seven of the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is absolute. There is no question about what he's saying. There's no subjectivity to it. And there is a lot of subjectivity in the world today, isn't there? You know what isn't subjective? Truth. Truth is not subjective. It is not dependent on somebody's opinion. Truth is truth. Amen. And a huge disconnect that we have in the world today is that people don't understand that truth is rooted in a source and that source is Jesus Christ. That is where it's rooted. The truth that Jesus is, the truth that is declared in the Bible, in his holy holy word, does not change with the culture. And the culture tells us, don't offend anybody, right? Because everybody wants to be right. Right? It's about how they feel. This profound statement that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Make no mistake about it. There is only one way to the Father. He's pretty clear about it here. The only way is through Jesus. Is it hard at times to tell people the truth? Yup, it's hard. Do they need it? Yep, probably more than ever. There is comfort to be found as we stand in truth. When you stand in the truth of God, there is comfort to be had. And it's very unique because you are standing in 100% accuracy. It cuts through the chaos and it anchors us. Think about all the places that people deliver truth these days, and they're completely opposite. Where's the truth? It's right here. And the disciples were about to go on a mission. Jesus' work was just wrapping up, but the disciples, they were just getting started. And if they weren't firmly rooted in the truth, this mission was not going to go well. Most of the disciples died for their faith. People don't die for a lie, they don't suffer for a lie. They die and they suffer for the truth. It's amazing how many people are messed up these days because what's being declared as truth is based off of opinion and agendas, personal justifications, but the statement of Jesus is 100%, he is 100% guaranteed. There's comfort in that. And here's the thing, you either accept all of the Bible or you accept none of it. You don't get to pick and choose in here. When we pick and choose, if somebody says, well, I really like the part about Jesus being my Savior, but I'm not going to do everything that he says to do because, you know, different time. It doesn't work that way. It's all or nothing. Otherwise, we're picking out based off of our own opinion as well. So when we stand firm in this, knowing that God has is the source of our truth, there's amazing comfort in who Jesus is there. And then we're going to see that we can find comfort because Jesus reveals. He reveals things to us that we wouldn't otherwise know. He revealed the Father in heaven. Did the disciples actually get that Jesus was God with us? Did they really understand that he was Emmanuel? Sometimes... It's easy for us to remember Jesus as fully human, but we have to remember that he's fully God. And I don't have the time to explain the Trinity because that could take a lifetime. But here's what we need to know. Jesus, fully God. The Father, fully God. The Holy Spirit, who we're about to meet in a minute, fully God, all distinct, all separate in their roles, but they're all one. And now Jesus is saying to them, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. This is in verse 7. He says, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. For the Jewish culture, that statement would have flipped them on their heads because they said, they, they were told that if they saw the father, they would surely die. And Jesus is saying, actually, you have seen him. You have seen him. An writes that so perfect was the correspondence between the life of Jesus and the will of God that to know Jesus was to know the Father too. And even still, you're going to see this again, the disciples weren't getting it yet. It wasn't making sense to them. So Philip makes a statement to Jesus. He says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus doesn't answer him with just one question. He answers him with two. The first one is, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time? And then he states again, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Here comes question two. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? And just in case you're not picking that up, Philip, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. All of it goes back to the work of the Father. And then he says... Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Look, if you're you not really picking that up, think about everything that's happened. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. This is important to realize that when he says greater things, he's not talking about quality of miracle. Here he's talking about scope. Up to this point, Jesus had been the one who had been walking around and had been doing these miracles, but it was about to, this mission was going to take off. It was going global. And it's going from just physical healings, physical miracles to spiritual ones. The disciples were about to be regenerated spiritually well beyond what they could possibly imagine. Remember that miracles that we see don't bring about faith, but they do support the faith we have. And our testimony of what Jesus has done in our lives and what you have seen through other people and how you have seen the Father work in your life, those stories that go back, that God has revealed himself, should bring amazing comfort to us. Because of who he is, this divine comfort Think about the god of the universe the one who created everything the one who holds it all together knows you that intimately that's amazing that's amazing he knows what we need even when we don't understand it he's prepared a place for us we can look forward to eternity he's absolute we can stand firmly in his faith and he's revealed himself to us. Maybe none of that makes sense to you right now. Maybe you're, you're saying, I don't know what any, I'm not sure how that, what that means in my life. Maybe you're feeling the comfort that only God can provide by saying, turn your life to me. Maybe that's you right now. Maybe you're online at home right now and that's what you're feeling. Today is the day that you can experience an unbelievable comfort that comes only from Jesus. Today is the day that you can say, I am surrendering. I'm I'm going to stop trying to do this on my own. I'm, I'm handing this over. My life belongs to you. And what we're going to find in this next section is that for those that have done that, for those who call Jesus their Lord and Savior, there's even more comfort that comes to us. There's a particular kind of comfort that comes for those who have Christ living in them. There is comfort from being in Christ. And the first one is this, specific for us, he hears us. He hears us. Our prayers never fall on deaf ears. He says in verse 13, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So the disciples in this moment were saying, but we, if you leave, we can't talk to you. Jesus is saying, actually, you can. Which really needs to put our, when, we, when we're praying, we need to put this in, a, in, in an understanding of who it is that we're praying to. The Jesus that we're reading about, the God of the universe, the Father in heaven, is entertaining you. I don't mean entertaining like entertainment. I mean he's allowing you to talk to him through Jesus. That's something we should never take lightly or for granted. And when we go to prayer, he's gonna say, he says within these verses... He's saying, and I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified. In the Son, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. It is for our benefit and it is for the glory of God. That's why he does it. That's why we're able to do it. Our benefit, we are molded into his image. Notice he says this twice. He says, if you ask in my name. So we're praying in Christ's name. Does that mean we can't pray to the Father? No, no. The Father is in Christ. But he's saying, pray in my name. Why? Because that brings us more into line with God's will. When we see God answer prayer, our thinking turns more into what Christ is thinking. This isn't a a verse that says, God will give you whatever you want. I'm going to name it and claim it. That's not what it is. He's claimed you if you're in him. And so we get our thoughts and our 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 lives become more in line with who Jesus is. Isn't that what we want? Don't you want to wake up and think I'm more Christ-like today than I was yesterday? I'm praying that you leave here more Christ-like than you came in. Me too. We're being sanctified. It's not the end result of the prayer. It's that it's that our, our, the way we think comes in more in line. God even interacts with us so that we might give Him the glory is astounding, and this is why it's so important to ask for people to pray for you. This one's tough because we're private and we're trying to do it on our own. What do you need prayer for today? Nothing. I'm fine. I'm good. God's good. I'll just take it to myself. Do you realize that when we don't share our prayer requests with people, we're actually taking the opportunity away for them to give glory to God? Because they might answer your prayer, or God might answer your prayer, but He's also then answering mine. Is God worthy of all the glory? That wasn't rhetorical. Yes, is God worthy of all the glory? We don't want to take it from him. And when you don't pray for other people, you're robbing yourself of the opportunity to give God glory. I did a little test once. I, I, walked, I was walking through a mall and somebody, I ran into somebody I hadn't seen in a while. They say, hey, how are you? I said, really not good. They were like, mm, sorry to hear that, got to go. They didn't want to take the time. Take the time. Take the time, take the time with people. It's one of the amazing things that God has given us within the family of Christ. When I walk in here and I see you all, it's uplifting knowing that I've got a family here who prays for us and who prays for, that, that we pray for, and we get to see God do amazing things within this family, amen? It's amazing to be able to just give him the glory. He wants to hear us. He wants to shape us. And then he makes a statement after that. He says, if you love me, keep my commands in verse 15. How? Well, take comfort in the fact that if you have declared Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he indwells you through the Holy Spirit. If you love me, you'll obey what I command seems simple enough. But as was evidenced by Peter earlier, it's really not as simple as it sounds. I have no question that Peter loved Jesus. And his intention out of love was, I would die for you. Couldn't do it. And Jesus knew that. We have the Holy Spirit residing inside of us to help guide and direct us. Jesus is the truth. And who does he say in verse 17? The Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He says, the world could not accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Notice that that's a promise. It hasn't happened for them yet. See what he says? He says, and will be in you. Waiting for Pentecost still, for the Holy Spirit to come. That's one of the reasons Jesus had to leave, isn't it? We're gonna see that in chapter 16 and verse 7. He says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So we actually, he still knows what's better for us. He knows what's best for us. And we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And then he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Orphan just means abandoned or unprotected. The person of the Holy Spirit is there to be with us, never to be abandoned. I'll never leave nor forsake you. But also to protect us. Protect us from our own sinful ways. Help guide us. Help be the compass that we follow. Help point us. Help direct us. Help lead us. We face struggles and trials and we try to live obediently. But God has given us the person of the Holy Spirit. And just to think that I'm communing with God in this little temple of mine, is just, I find so much comfort in that. Jesus was leaving, and the disciples were going to need all the help they could get. They were going on mission for him, and they needed help. And he's going to say, there's really two promises in what he's saying in here. The first is that they were about to go on this mission and once Jesus left, he was going to be with them through it all. That's why he says, I'm going to reside in you. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you'll realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. That's why he could make the statement in the Great Commission. Go and baptize all nations, teaching them everything to obey, Or teaching them everything I've taught you. And I will always be with you until the end of the age. I will be with you until the end of the age. That's why he's saying that. And the second thing he's saying is that when he comes, it's going to be through the Holy Spirit. He's living through them. The world cannot see him, but you can. You're given a special window into God. That's amazing. It's just, it's, That's the kind of thing that should overwhelm us this morning. We can't see him, but he's there. That's why it's called faith, right? Faith is believing in what you can't see. He says, when he says, I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you, just let that sink in for just a second. Holy God is in us if we're believers. And that brings us to the way that he empowers us. He empowers us and we are loved. And as we are moving towards the end of this passage, we can see that there is a lot of connection being made between love and obedience. There is a continued connection in this passage between obedience and love. And God's commands yield a very unique kind of comfort that comes from obeying him. Again, you're going to see the disciples were missing the point. Verse 21, he says, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, he's gone. This is Judas, son of James, now. He says, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Interestingly, Jesus doesn't answer his question. He just repeats what he just said, but goes deeper. He says in verse 23, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. The reality of God's presence in the believer's life And in our daily experience cannot be overstated. It can't be. There is an increase in the quality of our life because we are able to obey God, what we would never be able to do on our own. And look what he's saying here. Anyone who loves me will obey. Anybody who doesn't won't. The comfort that comes from that statement when you obey God is that the fact that you can obey God is evidence that he's there. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. Lots of people do good things in the world, but are they doing it for the glory of God? No, they're doing it because they're created in his image. But there's a great evidence that happens there. And we're going to see finally that he restores us. Jesus restores us. We have... His peace. In verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you. Whose peace? My peace, he says. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you will be glad that I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. Jesus is saying here, I'm telling you that this mission that I've come to is about to, is about to be fulfilled. You should be so thankful that I'm about to leave you. I'm taking care of you through this whole thing, but your eternity depends on this. That's, amazing. That's just astounding what he's done for us. So we should find joy. We're going to be celebrating it and remembering that in just a minute at the, at the table. When the disciples couldn't grasp the magnitude of what Jesus was going to do, we have the advantage of being fully aware. This next statement, don't let it, don't let it slip by. What he says In verse 30, he says, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. When we look at what we do, how God shapes us, how God molds us, the things that he's doing in our lives right now, through all of the storms that he is using right now to refine you, there is no storm that you can go through that is wasted. You are being transformed into the image of Christ through all of it. And He's given us an amazing helper to do it. He's given us a hope through eternity. Is there anything that you can walk in here this morning and think, I can't handle? Good, He can. And as we go to the table to reflect and to remember, I pray that you're going to have, that we're going to find some, some real comfort remembering what Jesus did. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today, and God, we thank you for what you've done for us. The person that I was, I am no longer because of what you have done for us. Father, thank you that you are one who cares about us enough, that you would comfort us, that you would bring us hope, Lord, that you would die for us. Lord, I I pray for each of our hearts today. I pray that as we remember what you've done, Lord, that our souls will be comforted knowing that eternity awaits. Eternity awaits for those who call on the name of the Lord, Jesus our Savior, we pray in his name, Amen. amen. Pray this morning, that as we remembered and remember what Christ has done for us, that you are comforted this morning. I pray that if there is something that is on your heart or on your mind, we'll have pastors down at the front praying, ready to pray with you. We have pastors in our connections room waiting to pray with you. Please turn to the one and only source, the greatest comfort that we have, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we've had together as a family that you've brought together, Lord, that we could come and sit under your word, Lord. We could partake in a remembrance of all that you've done. Lord, work on our hearts, our souls, and our minds today, we pray. And we pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.